0: All right, so we are continuing in a teaching series that we started last week, one I've been really excited about for a long time. It's called, What's Right With You? What's Right With You? People don't ask you that very often, do they? Usually they say, what's wrong with you? You know, if somebody says, what's going on? They say, what's wrong with you? But wh- whoever asks, what's right with you? But as we talked about last week, this is a really important question, um, I told you last week that this scripture from Romans chapter 12 would sort of be our foundational scripture throughout this entire series. The Apostle Paul writing to the Christians in Rome, uh, he said this, he said, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I told you that the word transforming in this verse is the Greek word metamorphosis. And I told you that metamorphosis is what happens to a caterpillar as it changes into a butterfly. It undergoes this process of transformation. And Paul tells us that that to renew our minds, that, that we can be transformed, we can undergo metamorphosis as we renew our mind. And I told you that to renew our mind is to change what we think about. To renew our mind is to change what we think about because we reflect What we focus on. We reflect what we focus on. I I told you, we know that's true physically. We know that what we consume physically is going to affect the way that we feel. If we consume a bunch of junk, we're going to feel like junk physically. The same is true mentally and spiritually. What we consume mentally and spiritually is going to affect how we feel. We're going to reflect what we focus on. So we looked at another uh, passage from Paul's, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, Where he said this, he said, finally brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or if anything is praiseworthy, think about such things. And so he talked about that we get to choose what we focus on. We get to choose what we focus on. Are we going to focus on the things in life that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy? Or are we going to focus on the things that are negative? Because well, we have a choice. What, nobody's saying that there's not anything wrong in our life, but as we choose to focus on what's right. So I told you last week that, um, you know, counselors, it, it, counselors are starting to use this procedure, helping people to identify what's right in their life and, and the, the difference that can make. Well, today we're going to look at another story in Scripture about a group of people where what they chose to focus on made an incredible difference in their life. Uh, it's, it's a story from the Hebrew Scriptures, from the Old Testament, uh, and we're going to sh- show how important what we focus on really can be. But first, I want you to, uh, I, I put uh, an image up here on the screen. Uh, I'd like you to raise your hand if you see somebody playing a saxophone. All right, raise your hand if you see a woman's face. Oh, you see? So raise your hand if you, if you only saw one. So some of you, raise your hand if you saw both. Okay, so if you look, so for those of you who can't see, so here's the guy playing the saxophone, here's his nose, there's the saxophone, and the woman's face, here's her eye, other eye, nose, lips, okay? So the, the thing I want to illustrate here is perspective. People can look at the exact same thing. And see two different things. We can look at the same thing and see two different things. So here is perspective perspective is the lens or the angle with which we view something. The lens or the angle with which we view something. And it's the same thing. I didn't show you two different pictures, right? I showed you one picture and you saw two different things. If you chose, if you looked with a different perspective, you could see something different. So we're going to look at a story. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13 in the Old Testament. I'm going to tell you a story that uh, several years ago I was reading through the Bible. Uh, I was tra- doing a, a read through the Bible in a year program. And as I was reading through the Bible, I, I don't normally spend a lot of time in the book of Numbers. Uh, you probably don't either would be my guess. But as I came across this story, uh, it, it was It was so profound, it was like I stumbled across this idea, this light bulb went off in my head that really started to shift the way that I started to look at life and the world as I I saw this story. So uh, before we delve into the story itself, I'm going to give you a little bit of background info. Uh, if, if you're familiar with the story of the Hebrew scriptures of the Old Testament, you know that there was a man named Abraham, and God showed up to this man named Abraham, and he said, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation, I'm going to give you and your people this land, I'm promising you this land that your people will inherit, and, and through you, through your people, I'm going to make you a blessing for the rest of the world. Uh, And so as the story goes, Abraham's family grows, and uh, eventually they move to Egypt because there's a famine in the land, and eventually as their family continues to grow, the Egyptians subject them into slavery, and so they're put in slavery for about 400 years or so, and as they're in slavery, they continue to grow still, and then God calls a man named Moses to lead God's people out of Egypt into the land that God had promised Abraham hundreds of years ago. Uh, so God rescues them from Egypt. You, maybe you've seen the movie, You know, either the, the Ten Commandments or, or the new one, um, but you've, you've seen the movie. You know that, that Moses leads the people out of Egypt through the Red Sea. All sorts of wonderful things happen. The, these people who are called the Israelites see God work time and time and time again in their life. God parts the Red Sea. God brings them food from heaven. He just takes care of their every need time and time and time again. Uh, and so as we're getting to Numbers chapter thirteen, it's getting to be time for these people to finally enter in and take the land that God had promised them, um, and so Moses, at God's command, picks out twelve spies from among the Israelites, and he takes tells these spies, he says, "Go in. I want you to spy out the land." So we're going to pick up in chapter seventeen of verse uh, of chapter thirteen, verse seventeen in the book of Numbers. And here's what Moses tells his people. I'll put the text up here too. Uh, Moses says, When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like. Whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season of the first ripe grapes. So Moses chooses these 12 spies, he sends them into the land that God had promised them hundreds and hundreds of years ago, and he says, go in and do some reconnaissance on this land and come back and tell us what it's like so we can, you know, uh, sort of know what it's like. If you've ever gone maybe on a family vacation, maybe you've done some reconnaissance on the internet, you've looked at pictures to get yourself excited to see sort of what it is that you're going to be expecting. This is what Moses wants these 12 spies to do, go in and spy out the land and come back and tell us how great it is, you know, so we can get pumped up uh, as we get ready to go in and take the land that God has promised us uh, so here's what happens as we go on starting in verse 21 it says so they went up and explored the land when they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes two of them carried it on a pole between them along with some pomegranates and figs the place was called the valley of Eshkol because the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there at the end of 40 days, they, ex- they return from exploring the land. So these 12 spies, they go into this land and they start to do reconnaissance. They spend 40 days going through the land and exploring it and seeing what it's like. After 40 days, they gather some of the fruit from the land to bring it back, and they give their report to Aaron and the rest of the Israelite community. We'll pick that up in verse 26. It says, Then, Moses came back, or then they came back to Moses and Aaron, and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh, in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Now that's a figure of... Ex- uh, a figure of speech, right? It wasn't actually flowing with milk and honey. When I was a little kid and I first read that, I actually thought there were like rivers of milk and honey in this land. So that's a, that's a figure of figure of speech. It means it's a very fruitful land. It's a plentiful land. Um, the, the crops are good. The fruit is good. Um, and then they say, here's its fruit. So they hold up the grapes and the figs and the pomegranates. They say, it's a, it's a great land. It's really fertile. It's really fruitful. Here's some of the fruits. But, but, the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. So all, all twelve spies you know, who went in, they, they have this report. They say the fruit's really good. But the people who live there are really powerful. They're really strong. Their cities are really fortified. Uh, So as we move on into verse 30, then Caleb, Caleb, who was one of the 12 spies, says, Caleb silenced the people before Moses, and he said, we should go up at once and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. We can certainly do it. This is Caleb's report. He says, yes, there's a a lot of people, but we should go up right now and take it. We can certainly do it. But, verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are and they spread the israelite among the israelites a bad report about the land they had explored they said the land we explored devours those living in it all the people we saw are of great size we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them so here we have 12 spies they go into the land they all see The exact same thing. It's not like Caleb, and as we're going to see, Joshua is in the same camp as Caleb. It's not like Joshua and Caleb stayed back and hung out and, and guarded the grapes while everybody else went out and explored the land and saw the walls and the people. All 12 spies saw the exact same thing. And yet, we have two completely different reports. On the one hand, we have Caleb and Joshua who say, We can certainly do it. We, so we have two on this side who say, we can certainly do it. We have ten on this side who say, there's no way. We can do it. We can't do it. They saw the same thing. When I first read this, when I, when I read through this a few years ago, I, I just couldn't believe the fact that, that all twelve people saw exactly the same thing, and yet they came back with completely opposite reports. They saw the same land, they saw the same cities, they saw the same people. Two of them said, we can certainly do it. Ten of them say, there's no way it can happen. So the the 10 as they continue to, to share the bread the, the bad report uh, that report spreads throughout the whole camp all of the Israelites start to start to buy in and listen to these 10 who are saying we can't do it and all of a sudden the, the entire camp of the Israelites starts complaining and, and whining and saying you know why did go why did God bring us out of uh, Egypt only to die here in the wilderness and they start saying oh if only we were back in Egypt so they're starting to to long for the days where they when they were in slavery again because this bad report is spreading through the land and there's a side note about this, right? That means that, you know, negativity spreads a lot faster than positivity. Negativity spreads a lot faster than positivity. If we're negative, chances are that's going to spread a lot faster than if we're positive. It, it, we, we see that all of the time. Um, so there's a key here, right, which uh, we, we, we want to be careful what we say in terms of negativity because that, that can spread throughout the people much faster than positivity is going to. So as we move into chapter 14, we see that the uh, the Israelites continue to murmur and complain about this. They start to whine. They want to say they want to go back into Egypt. So then, uh, as we get to verse six, uh, this is what we see. In verse six, it says Joshua and Caleb, uh, Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land. So two of the spies, they tore their clothes. That, in that culture, to tear your clothes was, was an expression of, of deep sorrow, of anger, of distress. So somebody would tear their clothes if they were really upset about something that would happen. It was a sign of just, just being so, so angry, so upset. So they tore their clothes and they said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. All twelve spies saw the same thing, and yet they had two completely different reports. How often does this happen in life? In business, right? The people, like the the businesses that have been innovative and successful and that have changed the world have been led by people who saw what everybody else says was an insurmountable obstacle, and they saw an opportunity. You drive in cars, and you work on computers, and you use technology, and uh, all because there was somebody who looked at an opportunity that everybody else said couldn't be done, and they said, I think we can. Somebody who saw an obstacle, saw an opportunity where everybody else saw an obstacle. This happens with our health. I see it as a hospital chaplain all the time. People who come in and, and certain people who receive uh, the same diagnosis as somebody else and some, one person says, well, this must be the end. Somebody else says, I'm going to beat it. Guess who beats it most of the time? The person who says, I'm going to beat it. The people who don't give up right away. This happens in war. Um, you know, I'll give you an example. There was a, a Marine... A uh, general, his name was Chesty Puller, maybe you've heard of him. He led uh, troops in the Battle of Chosin in Korea. And uh, there's this story about how he and his troops, he had about 15,000 troops with him. His, uh, they, they were going through Korea. They found themselves surrounded by about 60,000 of the enemy troops, just completely surrounded. Chesty Puller was leading this group of Marines and he says, I tell you what, fellas, we've got these guys right where we want them. We can shoot in any direction. right? So instead of of being terrified and and, and retreating and surrendering because they found themselves facing an insurmountable obstacle, he changed the perspective. He said, listen, we've got them right where we want them. We can shoot in any direction. He says, we're not retreating. We're just advancing in a different direction. And that shift, that change in perspective that that leader had as he shared that with his troops, they, they were successful. They won that battle, even though they were severely outnumbered because of their perspective in that situation. We see this all of the time. So what was the difference? What was the difference between Joshua and Caleb and the other ten spies? What caused two of them to say, we can certainly do it, while ten of them said, there's no way it can happen? It was this. The ten focused on the size of the obstacles. The two focused on the size of their God. The ten focused on the size of the obstacles. The two focused on the size of their God. Notice that that the ten, all they could talk about was the size of the enemy. How many there were, how big there were, uh, how strong their fortresses and their cities and their walls were. They never mentioned God not once in their report of the land. And yet Joshua and Caleb in uh, chapter 14, verses 6 through 9 there, they talk about God over and over again, right? They say uh, in uh, verse seven or verse eight, if the Lord is pleased with us, He will lead us into the land. Verse uh, nine only do not rebel against the Lord uh, again. their protection is God, but the Lord is with us. They, they mentioned God over and over and over again. They knew they had seen God work for them time and time and time again in the past. They had seen God part the Red Sea, they had seen God bring down food from heaven. They knew that God had been faithful in the past, and they trusted Him to be faithful again. In the future, instead of focusing on their circumstances and their obstacles, they focused on the God who had promised to lead them through and be with them the entire time. Out of the entire group, it was only Joshua and Caleb who actually got to go in to the promised land. Everybody else had to wait in the wilderness, had to die in the wilderness, until a new generation that trusted God came in. So here's the bottom line. Our perspective often determines our outcome. Our perspective often determines our outcome. We're going to face challenges. We're going to face obstacles. We're going to face bad circumstances. God never promises that we're going to have a problem-free existence, that we're never going to face tough times, that we're never going to have a bad health diagnosis, that we're never going to lose a job, that we're never going to have a financial crisis, that we're never going to have a relational uh, crisis, that we're we're never going to lose someone that we love. God never promises that we're going to have a problem-free existence. But He has promised to be with us in and through every situation. And he's promised that he's able, in all things, to work together for our good, for those who love him. He's promised that, that we can be more than conquerors, that we can make it through if we fix our eyes on him. We're all, there, there's always going to be problems. There's always going to be circumstances. The, the question is not, are we going to face troublesome circumstances? The, tr- the, the question is, how are we going to look at our circumstances, Are we going to see an insurmountable obstacle or are we going to see an opportunity to trust God in a brand new way? Are we going to see an opportunity for God to come through and bring deliverance, to, to work something in our life so that we can see him even more, even better? Are we going to trust that the God who, who knows our name, who has called us by name and, and loves us like a father, is going to take us by the hand and lead us through? Our perspective often determines our outcome, which is why we focus on what's right, which is why we focus on the power and the presence of our God in every situation. I'm going to say a word of prayer. I'll invite Sarah and Ina back up to lead us in our final song. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father. We know that we are going to face troublesome circumstances from time to time. It's just a part of this world that we live in. We know that in the future, you will restore all things and and you'll set everything right. But in the time being, we know that we live in a world that is broken and there's pain. But we know, Father, that you have also promised to be with us. You have promised that as we fix our eyes on you, that you will be our guide, that you can work all things together for our good that you'll take us by the hand, that you'll never, ever leave us or ever, ever forsake us. So, Father, help us to shift our focus, to focus on you and your power and your presence and your goodness. Help us to look upon your face and your promises to see an opportunity for you to come through instead of an insurmountable obstacle. Father, give us the perspective that you are with us in every situation and you will make us more than conquerors. Thank you for these things in Jesus' strong name. Amen.